Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for joining us for tonight's performance. This is not King George. Tonight, in the role of J. Kerr, will be former Secretary of State John Kerry, and playing the role of Joe Biden, the President of the United States. How does Biden, questionably elected, ballot-harvested president, somehow not imprison his enemy, D.J. Trump, despised from the beginning just to ruin me and my climate gig? I want my private plane just to fly in, my plane just to fly in, my plane just to fly in. You've kept me from my private plane to fly in for the last time. Dear POTUS Biden, I am slow to anger, but I toe the line as I reckon with the effects of your life on mine. I look back where I failed and in every place that I checked, the common thread, my own actions suspect. Now you call me the czar, not a cabinet head. Teresa told me I'd hate this job and be better off dead. It's a dishonor to be your obedient servant, J. Kerr. Mr. Climate Guru, I am not the reason no one trusts you. I will not equivocate on my opinion. I have always worn it on my sleeve. Even if I said what you think I said, you would have to remind me in the morning. For I haven't had my afternoon ice cream jello salad yet. Great googly. Hey, I have not been shy. I am just a guy in the public eye. Trying to do my best for little Hunter. I don't want to run again, but Newsom says he won't jump in. It's a dishonor to be your obedient servant, Joe Biden. <clears throat> Careful how you proceed, good man. Intemperate indeed, good man. Answer for the accusations I lay at your feet or prepare to bleed, good man. Her, your grievance is legitimate. I stand by what I said, every bit of it. You stand only for yourself, it's what you do. I can't apologize because it's true. <laughs> then run, Chief Commander. Iowa, guns, boats drawn. You're on. <clears throat> it's, it's a, a dishonor, dishonor to be your obedient servant. Joe Biden. J. Kerr. Even though it's my least favorite thing on, it's that Somewhere in the bowels of the city that never sleeps. Kevin McCullough, radio host with Salem Media. Is a man also not sleeping. Syndicated radio talk show host Kevin McCullough. And that guy would like a word with you. Many of you know him. One of my folks, Fredamas. Of course that Kevin show is going to be great. The only thing that could be greater, of course, would be that Donald show. But we don't have that, so we have that Kevin show. Featuring the music of Dick Tunney and the Dream in Color Orchestra. And tonight, an update from Decision 24 as all eyes are on New Hampshire. John Kerry and Joe Biden's debut on Broadway. Sketch comedy from rapper High Res and John B. Christ. The City of Light in the new music spotlight. An officer of the British Empire stops by. And a lovely lady named Laura. All tonight. And now, from Times Square, where landlords are eager to show the prospective tenants units with mice. 
Because that means the units don't have rats. Since they can't coexist. Anyway, here's the... I'm not exactly sure that that's uh, science that uh, Mr. Pipes... David, where'd you get that from? Overheard New York? No, they're funny, but that, that doesn't mean that mice and rats can't actually coexist. It means that somebody says that to tenants to justify the, the mice being there. That's, that's what I thought. Okay. I, well, now that, it, now that it's explained, I just want to make sure people understand. And how about that uh, cold open tonight? Uh, John Kerry and Joe Biden debuting on Broadway. You know what all that's about, right? You probably don't. Because everything has been, all of the news oxygen has been how close Nikki Haley's going to make New Hampshire on Tuesday. But bad news, late on Friday, new poll came out, showed that the president's lead had expanded in New Hampshire. <clears throat> so I don't think that's going to, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Mr. Trump's going to win, and I think he's going to win not in the same margin that he did in uh, in Iowa, but I think it's going to be pretty good. I think he's going to do okay. Uh, and all he has to do is win because then I will have been correct. Iowa and New Hampshire, two of the four. I said he's going to win all four in a row. He'll have the first two under his belt. And there's not even another candidate listed on the on the Nevada ballot. Did you know this? On the Nevada ballot, for their caucus, it's Trump and DeSantis, and it's like Trump by 78 points, and DeSantis has like 22. It's it's like it's embarrassing how how lopsided it is out there. And then that then after Nevada, it comes back to South Carolina, where Nikki Haley, <clears throat> other bad news tonight, is currently third. And that was the state she was a two-term governor of, and she's in third place. Anyway, uh, just a little hint, if you listen or watch. Uh, the Mike Gallagher show weekdays, you'll learn a lot about South Carolina because his special correspondent, Joey Hudson. Well, first of all, he was an amazing morning man for the Northern uh, portion of uh, South Carolina, but that they, he knows what, he knows what the score is down there and he can tell you why Nikki Haley's not doing so well, but to the subject of our cold open tonight, uh, Mr. Kerry is cross with uh, Mr. Biden these days. Do you know why? Because He's he's stepping down. John Kerry's having to step down. You you know why? Because the Republicans in Congress have finally gotten a little they've been sniffing it out. They finally got a whiff of what he's been doing over there in the climate offices and it hasn't been pleasant. As the climate czar, so let me just let me just give you the details here. As the climate czar, which has never even been a thing until Joe Biden came into office. He's not a cabinet secretary. We've had established cabinet divisions in the in the government for a while, but the climate czar was a newly created uh, <laughs> just off my the top of my head. I'm just going to imagine a new position. Call it the climate czar. Boom, there you got it. But he was he has been given on average about 16.7 million dollars annually to operate uh, his office. 16.7 million dollars to operate the office of the climate czar. Now, what exactly the climate czar does, I still am in the dark on. Uh, is, is, it, is it something that we're supposed to be aware of? Because I don't know what he does. You know, you know, I know that he ends up at these places in other countries 
where they dog America the whole time he's there and they say things like, well, if those Americans wouldn't drive their big, you know, four-wheel drive SUVs, then the climate might not be burning to a crisp, which it's not, but that's a different subject. But as the climates are, he's supposed to be in some way um, making America's case for the rest of the world to get off of our case or something. And instead, he's over there. Well, I'm John Kerry, and I believe Teresa and I, making our ketchup and mustard, believe that that we need to be more caring and empathetic about the world around us. And but he doesn't come back with any concrete ideas. Now, I told you he's he's budgeted sixteen point seven million dollars annually to run his office, of which I think it's him and a secretary or two. Hey, how are you? Uh, but out of out of that, somehow from sixteen point seven million dollars, he has now promised uh, to spend one billion dollars on new green climate initiatives. Now, one billion is a little bit more than sixteen point seven million, and I don't I don't know where the authorization has come but but James Comer is bringing this up in the in the hearings and they're saying well maybe we should look at the office of the climate czar maybe the office of the climate czar is not not doing what it's supposed to be doing maybe it's spending a little more money than it's supposed to be spending i mean it sounds possible it sounds theoretically conceivable but a billion dollars to argue that we got to you know fight the climate when you're only allocated 16.7 million, I don't even know where that's going. I'd like a further explanation, an honest explanation of what that's been spent on. Because, you know, he's been, he's been taking his, uh, his private jet. You know, it, this is the irony. He tells you and me to put on snow boots and walk to work or ride our bicycle or do something renewable. You know, buy an electric car that none of us can afford, you know, that kind of thing. That's what we're supposed to do. But what does he get to do? Oh, he gets to fly the private jet. I'm John Kerry. I deserve to fly the private jet. Me and the ketchup queen, we need to go where we need to go. We're very important people. And the carbon footprint for what he does with that is way off the mark for any average American. Well, they're looking into it, and they may not let him do it much longer. So he's he's out. He wants out, but he's ticked at Biden for not defending him and all the rest of it. So that was the that's what that was. Kevin McCullough coming back from New York. Big show. Laura Trump is next. guest is someone who has a very vested interest in what happens in 2024 at the ballot box. And it's not just because her last name is Trump. It's because she's a mom raising kids in a world that is increasingly more confused and always on the edge of something terrible happening. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Laura Trump. Thank you so much. What a nice uh, intro. 
entrance. I appreciate it. It's good to have you with us. Um, we are in the midst of the um, campaign cycle now. Iowa was, was just this last Monday, and, of course, New Hampshire is, is just straight ahead of us. Um, you guys have been at this for the last four years. You've watched what's happened with uh, Joe Biden and the and not the moderate centrist Democrats that he claimed he was going to be, but the far left extremist progressives that he's catered to these four years. Not as a Trump, not as someone who is in the public eye, not as someone who played with the idea of running for Senate or any of that. Just as just as mom, Laura Trump, what is your concern about 2024? Well, this is the make or break year, honestly. And and I don't say that in a hyperbolic way, Kevin. I really believe that if we don't get this right, this election, November 5th of this year, because we're in it, we're in campaign mode, as you said, Iowa, New Hampshire. And then after that, it's just, I mean, all the way to November 5th, it's going to get crazy. Um, I don't know that we have the same country on the other side of it. I mean, heck, you look around over the past three years and it truly feels like our country has changed so drastically that I think a lot of us really look around and we don't even recognize this as the United States of America in a lot of respects. And as you alluded to, I am a mom. I'm a mom of two kids. I have a son who's six and a daughter who's four. My kids are in kindergarten and pre-K, so they're very young. Mm -hmm. But I am incredibly concerned as I look around out there about the manipulation of an entire generation of kids, the way that our kids are, first of all, being taught to hate this country instead of loving this country, being taught that this is a racist, bad country as a whole, and being taught that you could wake up tomorrow and heck, if you decide you're another gender, that's no problem. There's hormone blockers you can take and oh, here's some surgeries that will also you know, change your body in ways you can never turn back from. And it is incredibly frightening to see what they are doing to our children. It's why I encourage every parent out there, get involved, pay attention, know for whom you are voting and know what these people stand for. If their values do not align with yours, then do not vote for them. Get involved yourself, run for school board. Um, but I really do believe that if the Democrats maintain control of the White House, and I got to tell you, Kevin, I don't think it'll be Joe Biden. God bless him. I don't believe he will make it to November 5th as the candidate on the Democrat side. But whoever it is they run, this country will cease to exist as the United States that we have always known and loved. We have to do this right in 2024. I think one of the more optimum scenarios for the Democrats is to run Joe, but to put whoever they really think they want to have in, in office as his VP. And then yep. that person doesn't have to be voted for mm -hmm. because he just resigns and then they just assume the office. Um, we're speaking with Laura Trump uh, and Laura, I cannot, we are very, very, just a few days away from the closing arguments from your father-in-law's appearance in the civil case with Letitia James in New York state where I broadcast from. Um, I've never seen a more collective case of Keystone cops and clowns than what Judge Ergonon and uh, Letitia James brought to that courtroom. But it wasn't just because it was a waste of taxpayer time and money that I'm offended by it. They dragged your husband, they dragged Don Jr., they dragged Ivanka into the courtroom. They had them answer questions. And then in this in this world of freedom that we consider, you know, um, important because of a thing called due process, they tried to ban 
your father, 45, from being your father-in-law, 45, from being allowed to have a closing statement on his own behalf. Now, he kind of defied the order and went through with it, and I'm glad that he did all of that. But what does that tell you about what is supposed to be the most objective justice system on planet Earth? I mean, it is, it, it's a very fragile thing, you know, freedom and what we call the United States of America. And the truth is, you can't look around and see especially what they have done to my father-in-law in many different places, New York, of course, being one of them, and not believe that the the uh, justice system has been weaponized against political opponents, because that's exactly, Kevin, what this is. There was no damage in this case. There was no injured party in this case. Not a single bank complained about anything. They got all their money back and well, some. little secret here. All the banks testified on your father-in-law's behalf. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They were. They did their own due diligence. They were, are not going to take somebody's word for anything. They have their own process. So you're telling by. me Mar-a-Lago is actually worth more than $17 million? So I, it's shocking. I know. A, a huge property like that. It's, it's embarrassing that these people think Americans are that stupid. Clearly, this is election interference. Clearly, they have violated uh, really just the sanctity of who we are as Americans and what we are supposed to stand for in this country with this insane lawsuit. It is crazy to see Letitia James, who is a politician. Let's call her what she is. Correct. She is not an attorney general. Who campaigned is, off your father-in-law. Right. This is not an unbiased individual. This is a person whose sole mission, and she told you every campaign stump speech she had, was to take down Donald Trump, to take down the Trump organization, to go after him, to make his life a living hell. And here we are, and we are seeing it come to fruition. It is a very scary thing to see this happen in the United States of America. And if for no other reason than that, then to rectify the wrongs that have been done and to maintain some semblance of trust in our judicial system, yeah. I hope the people of this country see what's going on, and I hope they wholeheartedly go out and vote for Donald Trump as the 47th president. It'll be interesting to see where that all goes, because I do think that regardless of the outcome in New York, should it be negative, I think that uh, on appeal, it gets <laughs> jackknifed in the right. other direction. And, and we can only hope for that to be the case. We're speaking with Laura Trump, who is um, very much on board with uh, keeping America in the sights of American politicians. America First is not a theory, it's an actual principle, and that's what we're talking about here. Laura, let me ask you this, and this is not in any means a criticism of your husband, not at all, but in the 2020 cycle, this was about maybe two weeks before the general election, he was on the show, and since I've been doing this a really long time and I'm a really old dude, <laughs> um, I asked him, remembering in the back of my mind the George W. Bush, Al Gore hijinks and what was going on there, Mm -hmm. And I felt all through that election cycle that there were people planning on doing destructive things, especially on election night, especially if it was close. And I didn't want it to be close and I wanted it to be something. But we didn't we didn't have any idea what COVID had really done to the election process. We found out afterwards and we've seen it in the aftermath, how they changed the rules and so forth. She is Laura Trump. Uh, she's got a podcast. Uh, in fact, she's a new member of the Salem Media Group, and we're very excited to have her here as part of that uh, family as well. We'll come right back from New York. Don't go away. Ready or not, we'll be 
right back. Glad to have you back uh, from New York. Laura Trump is my very special guest. And, um, Laura, we've learned some things since the 2020 election cycle. Uh, What have we learned, and are we ready to fight for election integrity in 2024 from where you sit? Yeah, well, I was going to say hindsight is 2020, not to use the 2020 again, but it it really (laughs) is. No pun intended. Got it. Yeah, no pun intended there. Look, the reality is we all have learned so much. I mean, the country as a whole has learned so much. But I think the Republican Party and certainly as a campaign, the Trump campaign has learned a lot. And you're right. I mean, we didn't know what was what we were in for really in 2020, why you would need uh, ballots and suitcases. I'm not sure. All the mail in voting, all the hijinks, as you just put it. Um, certainly caught us off guard. I will be very honest. There there was a lot more that we should have been prepared for. Um, this time around, I can guarantee you, we are prepared. And we are prepared in, in many different ways. The truth is, if you look at the Republican Party as a whole, we have never fought the same way and, and, and done elections in quite the same way in recent history as the Democrats. They get down in the dirt. We know how they do it. And unfortunately, we've always felt as a party like, oh, we're above that. We can't. No, we have to play the same game the Democrats are playing or we will continue to lose. So that is why we have one of the largest ballot harvesting operations across this country. Everywhere it is legal. I will say that uh, um, sometimes on like how they do it on the other side. Everywhere it is legal, we are ballot harvesting in this country. We want people at every single polling location across America, and we want them on rotation so that not a single thing is missed. If you want to volunteer, you can go to DonaldJTrump.com slash volunteer. We want you as a poll watcher. We want you knocking doors. We cannot leave anything to chance in 2024 because you see the results if you do. And the truth is we've got to win by such a big margin. It doesn't matter how many 3 a.m. dumps they have. doesn't matter how many ballots and suitcases they have. Donald Trump will be named as the 47th president. Well, here's the here's the interesting thing. So for a few election cycles, I had been doing prediction maps where I would pick who I thought would win which state and how it would work out. And since George W. Bush, the second term, I had gotten it fairly correct. In fact, I was the first person, I don't say this to my credit, I didn't want him to become president, but I, two years before Barack Obama became president, I predicted that he would be, and I based it on five indicators, and I said, if he hits three of the five, he wins, and he got four of the five, so he won. Rush Limbaugh read it on his show, it was a big deal, but the point is, is I, I try to pay attention to these markers that are taking place in the culture at large. And I was very concerned in 2020. The strength of your father-in-law was that he had never been a politician and he didn't care about being a politician and people loved him for not being a politician. And the Achilles heel in 2020 was that the Trump campaign had not been in politics to know the um, kind of the bare fistedness that was going to be leveled at them. So we have a chance to, to fix that this time. And that's, that's what my hope is. Let me ask you on, on a, personal level. Um, There's a lot 
And there's so much that's going wrong in the country, from national defense to energy policy to, as you already mentioned, the gender theory stuff in schools. You know, across the board, there are all these things that voters can and should be worried about. I'm just curious, not in your life as a Trump or as a celebrity or as a former beauty queen or, or anything like that, <laughs> just, as a, just as an everyday mom talking to the people in your neighborhood, that kind of thing. What's on people's minds this election cycle? It's the economy. And it, there are no two ways about it. I mean, the truth is you can't look around and say anyone is better off now than they were when Donald Trump was in office. And whenever it hits people's bottom line, when it hits their pocketbooks, when they, you know, they talk about the jobs, the Biden administration loves to talk about all the jobs. It's because people are having to work two and three jobs just to make That's ends true. meet right now. Yeah, it's I mean, it's ridiculous. Of course, like no one's falling for it, but it really boils down to the economy. And when people cannot maintain the same quality of life that they had four years ago, they have to make a change. And, and I do believe that it is on everyone's minds. Look, you talk about the energy policy. I would say the first move that Joe Biden made as president of the United States, of course, his first executive order was shutting down the Keystone XL pipeline that caused gas prices to go up. It enriched Russia. It enriched Iran. It allowed Russia to invade Ukraine. It allowed Iran to fund Hamas, who obviously has caused all these horrific situations in Israel now. The the snowball effect of bad decisions by one person, Joe Biden, has caused hell across not just this country, but around the but entire the world. world. And yeah. people feel it and they know they have to make a change. DonaldJTrump.com if you want to uh, volunteer and get involved. Laura, thank you so much. Best wishes to Eric and the entire family. Thank you so much. Kevin McCullough coming right back from New York. She changed that dial. Ready or not, we'll be right back. That Kevin. Now, back to that Kevin show with Kevin McCullough. Our next guest, ladies and gentlemen, uh, is quite familiar with the entire electoral process as he is the former strategic advisor to the Trump-Pence campaign uh, and someone that uh, was part of the President Trump administration previously. He is still fighting for policies now that will help put America first in many different ways. But in his own capacity, he joins us uh, now to discuss what lies ahead on the uh, campaign trail for Decision 2024. Ladies and gentlemen, put your hands together and please welcome Mr. Mark Lauder. Hello, Mark. Ah, thanks for having me, Kevin. You, you, uh, you're normally just with me by way of disembodied voice on the phone. Glad to get you on camera uh, this week. Hey, um, I, I wrote at townhall.com about six, maybe eight weeks ago now that Trump was going to cannon blast himself out of Iowa. He's going to win a big win in New Hampshire. He's going to go to Nevada and absolutely make everyone else forget there's any other candidate in the race there. And then he's going to come back to South Carolina and bring it home and be the presumptive nominee after the first four races. So far, I'm 25% right on my prediction. Uh, this week, we did see the kickoff to the primary cycle. People actually had a chance to get out and cast their votes. Do you anticipate more of the same in the weeks to come? 
I do. Uh, I, I don't see any path forward for any of the candidates who are not named Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I mean, Ron DeSantis is in single digits uh, in uh, New Hampshire right now, ahead of Tuesday's primary uh, election. Nikki Haley right now, it looks like about 15 points back uh, to Donald Trump, but still that's that's a loss. And then off to Nevada where Donald Trump is up 60%. Yeah. And then to, New, uh, to South Carolina, where Ron DeSantis is 40 points behind Donald Trump right now. Nikki Haley is 30 points behind yeah. Donald Trump. It's really astounding. It's really astounding that as a two-term governor who had a very good record for the voters of South Carolina, that she's as far behind the president as possible. But I think that speaks to something. And oh, by the way, the New Hampshire numbers, I just want to make sure my people understand uh, the numbers that Mark just gave you don't take into account the fact that that five to seven percent that Ramaswamy was drawing will likely all fall into Trump's uh, column as well. So there'll probably be some new poll before Tuesday that'll that'll explain this a little bit. But at the end of the day, his lead is big in all of the states to come, and even in the ones where CNN's working so hard to try to make Nikki Haley look like she's almost going to come close. I don't think it's going to be that close. But let me let me ask you about that. Going back to South Carolina for a second. Her home state, she had a great record. In Florida, Ron DeSantis has a great record. But the voters of those states want Trump to be the nominee, at least according to how they're responding in polls right now. We'll find out when the actual votes get cast. Why is that, Mark? What is it about the president's policy, personality, timing that the voters are saying it's him and it's him now? Well, I think the things that you have to have to win the nomination, and it's probably true of either party, and then ultimately to win the White House, you have to be the right person with the right message at the right time. And so, you know, people like Nikki Haley, people like Ron DeSantis as governors, but are you connecting with the right message? And right now, the voters, especially Republican primary voters, want someone who will fight for them, want someone who will go out there, pull no punches, not turn the other cheek when the left and the media, uh, you know, tries to swat you upside the head and will punch back even harder. And so that's why I think Donald Trump has been able to connect in 2016, in 2020, and now again in 2024. He's that fighter. And I don't think people are really quite done with it. And, you know, when, when we get to 28, we'll have to find someone else. But today, they're not done with it. As a strategic communications advisor to both uh, Trump and to the former vice president, you were able to be in rooms with them at times where you saw things that the general public didn't see. Uh, the, the, the former president uh, came out and gave what I thought was a very measured uh, celebratory win speech in Iowa that was even conciliatory, I felt, in its tone towards Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Um, is he already building the coalition for the general election? Absolutely. I think that's what that entire speech was. That was a speech of let's come together as a party, but let's also come together as a country to deal with the policy disasters that are Joe Biden, whether it's the economy, inflation, immigration, wars raging in the Middle East and Europe. I mean, you name the policy, we are worse off because of Joe Biden. And so I think they're the polls have already started to show it. You're seeing a lot of people who were traditional Democrat voters or fall into traditional Democrat voting blocks are now fleeing the Democrat Party. I saw in Gallup earlier this week that self-identification as a Democrat is at the lowest point it's ever been since they started measuring yeah. it. And that's because of Joe Biden.
So when well, Donald and Biden's Trump, personal approvals are the lowest in uh, 15 years of the presidency. Right. And so when I think when people are starting to look at that, they don't like the results. Many people have buyer's remorse. And if you just want to go out and just run, you know, rough shot over those Democrats, you're going to drive them back into their home base. But if you're welcoming them, if you talk about the policy results, things they already know, they might not remember it as well as maybe some Republicans. But come on board. We don't need you to wear a MAGA hat today. Pull the lever and we'll get you the hat down the road. <laughs> well, it's so funny because I just guested on somebody's podcast this last week, uh, Carol Markowitz, who writes for The New York Post. And, I, and she was asking me in a largely non-political podcast, she was asking me about the country. And I said, if there was a way to scrap all of the labels off of everything and you were able to just talk about ideas, do you think most Americans would say it's a good idea to let a lot of military-aged young men come across our southern border when we don't know who they are? And without any political connection to a party, I think you'd get about a 99% response that says, no, that's a bad idea. I think if you said uh, to the American people, do you think that when, when people go to work every day and they're working long hours and sometimes multiple jobs, uh, what, what amount of money for the government to take from them is the right amount? I bet you're going to get close to close to zero on, on most responses, again, without any labels or connections to parties or anything else. No, you're absolutely right, Kevin. In fact, uh, in my day job, uh, when, I, when I'm with the America First Policy Institute, we have done that poll testing on all of the major issues, the major policy pillars uh, that the America First movement is built around. And it's 70 percent, 80 percent approval because there's no political labels attached to it. Well, it's going to be a fun exciting race between now and November, Mark. We count on talking to you a lot during that time. Thank you for being with us tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. You got it. Kevin McCullough, we're coming back from Times Square. Don't go away. Ready or not, we'll be right back. Serving it up with a no-drink minimum. It's that Kevin show. It's become one of the best-loved songs in all of Christendom. City of Light, Kristen Getty, in Christ Alone. In Christ Alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Drought and storm, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand.
City of Light next hour on New Music Spotlight. Kevin McCullough. It's That Kevin Show.